1: What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Old Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And we have a very special guest with us today coming up after the break. Charles the Third, formerly of Oklahoma State. Still winning golf tournaments on live last week at Mayakoba. We're going to get all the insight and background into that and then get into some other stuff, uh, crazy stuff going on in the golf landscape. But, guys, as we do every single week, we give the most coverage to the best tournament that week, and this week it is the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. Guys, before we get started here, can you tell me who has the record at TPC Sawgrass as far as uh, the players goes? I can, actually. I have I have a list in front of me. Of, <laughs> Maybe you uh, guys uh, can. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell it. In 1994, Greg Norman told Pete Dye he was going to, quote, chew up. TPC Sawgrass, then he went on to shoot an opening 63 and then three more 67s to set the 36 and 54 hole scoring records and beat the 72 hole scoring record by six at 24 under. The record still stands uh, to this day. So uh, the Shark has the record at the Players' Championship and also... The defending champion, the real defending champion, not Todd Lewis's defending champion from live from last night. It's not Justin Thomas. It's actually Cam Smith. So, by the way, the Aussies and uh, the Live Guys have the uh, record and have the defending championship.
0: Yeah, the, the Live Guys even actually have other records. I, I pulled up this article on uh, progolfweekly.com. It's titled 10 Player Championship Records Owned by Live Golf Stars. The low front nine score, Dustin Johnson, Martin Keimer, both shot 29. Um, DJ and Brooks Koepka, along with Greg Norman, as you mentioned, have shot 63 out there. But Woody, what I'm reading this list that is most impressive was that in '94, when Greg Norman shot 24 under he also set the record for fewest bogeys
1: at the player's championship with only one. That's Can you imagine point. going around that golf course and only making one bogey? And, and what quick, real quick, what Greg Norman jr. Tweeted this out and said one bogey in four rounds, 66 straight holes, uh bogey free. And he says that it still pisses the shark off to this day with a wry smile. Well, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't. I was actually, I at that
2: 94. I was still playing. And, uh, I didn't ever see 24-under on that golf course. But I, I told you guys on multiple occasions, when Greg Norman, he was really good, gentlemen. I mean, really, really dominant. And when he got it on a roll, he was tough to beat. I think one of the funniest things about that, if you go back to the archives, you'll actually see Fuzzy Zeller come up to him on the 18th hole, and he pads his forehead with a towel like he was on fire. I mean, you know, because he was twenty four under. <laughs> For anybody that has played at the Sawgrass TPC at Sawgrass, anybody's gone around that golf course, and you you can't even fathom one bogey in seventy two holes and twenty four under. I, it's it's beyond my comprehension, to be honest with you.
1: Guys, let's talk about TPC Sawgrass, and there's a lot of mixed emotions about it, not just about the 17th hole. A lot of people love it, and a lot of people hate it, but let's talk about the golf course as a whole. I mean, you've you've played there many times. What are your thoughts about TPC Sawgrass, and what kind of player are you looking at to maybe succeed this week?
2: You know, before we came on the air, I actually said to you, Sam, that I think Bay Hill's a tougher test. Uh, Sawgrass can get nasty, especially if the wind gets up. At 17th hole, I had two occasions where I hit a golf shot on a par three where I couldn't hardly get a breath. I was choking so bad. One is 17 there at Sawgrass, and the other is number seven at Pebble Beach. Both were into unbelievable winds where I was almost hitting a. I I hit three iron. It's number seven at Pebble Beach, which you guys can't, even, it's a, you can throw the golf ball in the green. That's how hard the wind was blowing. And one year at Sawgrass, I had to hit a four-iron on that 17th hole and try to find a way to get it on that green in a 30-mile-an-hour gust wind. So you hit four-iron
1: on 17? Four-iron four on 17th. <laughs> oh,
2: my, four my iron. gosh. So... Uh, you know, and like I said, on both those occasions, I couldn't get any, I, I was choking so bad. I mean, it, it, I didn't know, I mean, it was literally what you guys have to do is you just have to go a wing and a prayer. God help me Just say a little prayer and try to hit some kind of knock down to find that green. Um, I think that day there was, they, they ended up having to cancel that round or call that round or stop that round because balls were rolling on the greens and stuff like that. But I I want to say there was like 60 semi-balls that had gone in the water before they called that day. So it was impossible is what it was. Um, the golf course in general, Sam, though, to get back to your question, you really got to drive the ball pretty good. And, and anybody that can fade it, most shots are better for a faded sawgrass of course, we always remember the 18th hole that looks like you want to draw it, but you didn't cut it off that T Um That's why I would tell you, Rom. Of course, easy
1: to say that because Rom has been playing so well, though. Um, Although he does have that left miss going with the driver, the little double cross he's been hitting, but we'll yeah, get to that later on.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you, it's a typical Pete guy, though, Sam. Looking at it from a viewer standpoint, or when you first play it, it's intimidating as it can be. Oh my gosh, does it look intimidating? But it gives you a place to hit the golf ball. Once you figure out where you can miss, or where you can hit a golf ball, giving the right weather conditions, uh, these guys will they'll 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 make a lot of birdies. It, it's just a golf course that you can make a lot of birdies on. The par fives are all very gettable all very gettable. They 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 can they can make birdies and eagles on those at will. So um having said that, it is great golf course entertainment wise to watch because it's it's got so many different kinds of avenues out there where you gotta hit a ball a certain direction, cut it, draw it, and there's water everywhere. So uh fun golf tournament to watch. I, I'm looking forward to this week, just like you said. Hey This is a golf tournament this week. We're going to talk about it because it's important, whether it's this tour or that tour or whatever. It's the best golf tournament on television this week. Let's
1: watch it. No doubt about it. And T-Dub, Woody mentioned the left miss, and Data Golf did a great article on how you can't miss left at TPC Sawgrass. Can you break that down a little bit for us?
0: Well, one of the yeah. things about Sawgrass that's so interesting is, is another classic Pete Dye element. Of the T the, the shots just look so quirky, and, and the fairways can run out of certain areas, and they get narrower at, at really the spots where you need to. And, and yes, on a lot of Pete Dye courses, it's really the same way, too, where you, you're really penalized for missing left-off tee box. I mean, the most infamous example on this course is number 18 where what's funny about it too is you need to favor a draw to suit the whole shape but if you overdraw it or if you're a little bit too aggressive you're going to be heavily penalized like for like we it. saw so, jay I mean, get-
1: extremely lucky a couple of years ago when he overcooked it and it bounced straight somehow i still don't know how the ball bounced straight
0: 100 uh, uh, percent right and you know there's this course in in the history is favored guys who aren't necessarily the longest off the tee, but they're able to hit a straight. A lot of that reason is there's a lot of holes where you don't necessarily have to hit driver off of them. You can go, you can put pretty much play the first hole, the fourth hole, um, and, and numerous holes on the back nine, number 10, where you don't have to hit driver off there, but you you can also be aggressive on the par fives as well as what he was mentioning. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a good test of golf, but at the same time, it, it does have a little bit of the Pete Dye quirkiness in there. And one of the reasons why it's so you mentioned earlier about being able to pin on his left is just the, the bunker setup as well, because on a lot of holes, you get over there, you get in those deep bunkers, and you don't have a very good uh, approach shot because the greens can also slant away from the angle that you miss. So a lot of imagery and a lot of a uh, strategy when Pete Dye design, even though, as I mentioned, can be a little quirky from time to time.
1: No doubt about it. And T-Dub, I grew up on Pete Dye courses, whether it be the family side out of here at Oak Tree when I was young or obviously Oak Tree National when I got a little older. Um, look, for what he, what Woody he might be able to explain this a little bit better than me because uh, he's spent a lot of time on Pete Dye courses as well. But I think the thing that makes Pete Dye courses so hard to people that haven't grown up on those courses is the visual intimidation as you – as you guys bring up, and a lot of times on Pete Dye courses, there's more room than there looks like, and Woody, I mean, to me, I love Pete Dye courses, but I feel like part of that is just because I'm used to it after growing up on them, and I don't feel as, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable on the tee box as certain people might.
2: Yeah, he he will fool you. He'll make you think there's nowhere to land the golf ball. Literally, when you – Stand on some of the shots off the tees at a lot of his golf courses. You you look at him and go, "Oh Lord, where where do you hit it?" And yet when you get down there, you're spot on, Sam. He's giving you a pretty good little place to land the golf ball. You might not necessarily see it from the tee very well, but it's there. And Sawgrass is that to a tee. Um, Pete Dye and Jack Nicklaus golf courses are the two that I have played the most where left is usually a death
1: sentence off the tee.
2: Not every hole. Don't get me wrong. Go They'll play a Jack Nicklaus course.
1: Buddy. Go play a Jack Nicklaus course, Woody, and every single hole is left to right, pretty much. 95% yeah. of yeah.
2: them. And it's
1: basically because Jack had a fade
2: his whole life. We all know that. So, uh, whereas if you play some of our Arnold's golf courses, he actually, believe it or not, want, wanted more draws. So, um I think designers in general, uh, that if they're players, they kind of they kind of build a hole that they see in their eye. Pete was so special in his design that he could see it both ways. But what he did the best, Sam, you're exactly right. He makes you think there is no place to hit the golf ball, but yet there really is. It our our oak trees a ton like that, Oak Tree National. There's so many of those drives out there that you go – Yeah, I'm not really sure where to hit it. And where you think it's the best spot to be, Yeah, after you've played it a few times, you're wrong. It's not the best spot.
1: (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) I mean, it's like number one out at Oak Tree, you got to aim down the right tree line instead of down the middle of the fairway. Or, you know, number seven out at Oak Tree. We could go on and on about Oak Tree, but I've played many Pete Dye courses, whether it be Purdue's course, uh, where I have a solid college tournament back in the day, or TPC uh, Sawgrass as well. I think that another thing that Pete Dye does is late in rounds, he creates holes where there can be big swings, whether it be an Oak tree with 16, you finally get a break can make a birdie or an Eagle, or, you know, after making a bogey or a double at 15, you know, he gives, uh, you know, the golf tournament an opportunity, uh, to be on full tilt. Right. Woody. Most definitely. And, And, and if you look at this golf tournament,
2: uh, you know, 16, 17, 18, three very pivotal holes. Uh, 16, you might can get a birdie or an eagle. 17, you hold on for dear life. And 18, you just try to squeeze something in the fairway so that you can possibly get it upon the green. So there are three distinctive different kinds of golf holes, and that's Pete at its finest. That's what he gives you. Uh, you know, it's fun nowadays because television has helped so much, gentlemen. You you actually will see holes that we used to never see. They're starting with number one, I mean, they'll they'll take you through a whole round of golf now. So a lot of those holes on the front nine, you know, we used to never get to watch. Now we get to see them all, and he's got some really good golf holes on that front nine too. So I'm not sure why they seem to shoot so low there at times, guys. I think one of the reasons is there's not a lot of rough. Uh, What T-Dub said is very true. It's not an overbearing from a length standpoint. If you go back through the annals and look at who has won there, one of the guys that always made me that won there was Calvin Pete, way back in the day. Now I'm dating myself. But Calvin Pete was the straightest driver of the golf ball I'd ever seen in my life. Now, it wouldn't go to about 250, 260 yards, which back in that time was not short by standards, real short. But it, it i I'm telling you, this guy was the straightest human being with a golf ball I'd ever seen, and he wanted that golf course. So it, it is, uh, it, it gives and takes, but a bomber doesn't necessarily have the biggest advantage on this golf course. T-Dub was right on
1: with that. T-Dub, I'm curious to get your thoughts on 17, and the first time I ever went to TPC Sawgrass. Uh, I was a little bit surprised how small that area is where 17 green is and 16 green is, and I was surprised how tight the fairway was um, on 18 as well, and it makes it a lot harder when there's a north wind because those holes kind of face toward the north, and in March – there is going to be a north wind. Now this week we're going to have wind from all four directions. But my question, T Dub, is do you like the players being in March or do you like it being on Mother's Day?
0: I like where they moved it now. I like it being before uh, the, uh, the the Masters and before, especially now that they moved PGA to May, I think they really or they essentially had no choice at, at that point. So yeah, I like that change. As far as seventeen and, and where I like it from a whole perspective, I mean I'm not I think it's entertaining, but I'm not the biggest fan of it I don't think it's a very good design hole it's actually one of the probably the few things that me and Brandon chambly will actually agree on and one of the things that I don't like about it is how they set up the the pin set because we talked about I talked about this nauseam last year is I'm not a big fan of the of the the front or middle right pin however you want to phrase it, the Sunday pin the classic one over there on the side where Ricky Fowler hit in their tie that's the they keep showing on the Golf Channel numerous times but I said this last year is that the pros with their wedges traditionally don't miss right very often. And so I think there's other pins on the green that would be more enticed, that would be more exciting. Like, for example, the front pin, you'd be able to maybe get some hole outs on there. Or if you want guys to hit in the water more often, you just put it in the very back of the green because you'll have adrenaline going, you'll have guys pump it over the green all the time. Then, then you have major swings. So I don't know, Woody, to me, it just seems like – it. It's not the best design hole in the world, too, and also, too, it's whole, so dependent on pin placement that uh, I feel like if they just rotated the day some on that, it
2: may even make the hole even more exciting. Of course, when you look at a golf hole, what you want out of a golf hole is just like what you just said. You want a discussion about some guys like it, some guys don't. That's what makes a great golf hole, in my opinion. And pin placement, there's not a lot on that green because that green – It looks pretty big, but it's not. It's not very big at all, and it's got a lot of undulations in it. So they really don't have multiple pin placements. That's why you kind of see the same ones year after year. I'm kind of like you in a way, T-Dub, that every now and then, why don't we change instead of every year on Sunday it being back right over there, why don't we save that one for the front where we get the better than most, better than most, and that putt from the back of the green and guys coming up short going in the water there's a lot of fun stuff that could happen on that green the hardest pin what you said t-dub is right it's the back left position it's a tough shot in there and boy if those greens get firm and you're trying to get it back to that pin oh you're gonna you see a lot of balls one hop go right over the green. So uh, 17 is a is a cool hole in the fact that you can try to make three on it all day long, which is not a bad score. And if we go back to bring up Oak Tree again, because we all know it, and lots of our listeners probably have played it. If you got on number one tee at Oak Tree and they said to me, Woody, I'll give you four threes, and you never get to play those four four threes. <laughs> I'd do right. it every time. I'd do it every frickin' time, I would go, I'm good with that. Let me have them. And uh, because, yeah, I've made I've made a one on one of them before I got lucky. I've made a lot of twos. But, guys, I've made so many fives that just would make you sick. So you just, those par threes, 17's a perfect example. If they gave me four threes, I'd just go right to 18.
1: Guys, one of the reasons why I really like 17 at Sawgrass is because it is different from the cookie-cutter, 220-yard, dead-straight par-3 that's just long and doesn't really have much character to it. I think that on tour, I mean, the majority of par-3s have to be like 215 to 230 yards, guys. It's it's almost boring to watch to me and so when we get holes like a 17 at Sawgrass where it is a short iron but guys can be penalized I actually really like that and just to play devil's advocate, I'm not saying you were wrong about the pin placements, but that right, that technically, I guess it's called a back right pin placement, even though it's just over that bunker um, on, on 17 at Sawgrass, it has produced some great moments, whether it be Sergio, you know, it, it, when he won or, or uh, Cam Smith last year hitting it right of the pin or the Ricky shot where he hit it right of the pin. It has produced some really clutch shots.
0: No, no it, it definitely has in the past, but uh, you know, also if, if that pin had been in another place, you might have had some very similar moments as well. It's, I'm yeah. not necessarily saying that's just contrary to pin. I'm just, if you mix it up a little bit just to see what would happen, but also to your point though, Sam, is that I, I completely agree with the fact that it's a different type of par 3, and I, I'm not a big fan of the 220-yard par 3 holes because you look at all the great par 3 holes in the world, the number 7 at Pebble Beach, 12 at Augusta, number 8 at Royal Troon. They're all short par threes. All The majority of best par threes in the world are all under 150 yards or 160 yards. So I, I believe that's a, that's an element. that. And what he said, too, is that we are having a debate on if it's a good or bad hole. And that usually means that it's probably a fairly good design hole. It's just I'm leaning on the side that if it's not very good. But whenever you got $4.5 million on the line and they want to make this the mainstay of the PGA Tour. It's all right to have maybe once a year, that type of thing. But it's it's something that I wouldn't want to see a trend go on, a whole abundant lot of golf courses. But it really has. There's a lot of golf courses you'll see that have, have incorporated Island Green, and this was really the first one. So it is kind of a, uh, a mainstay in golf now, you have to say it, unfortunately.
2: Sam, I would say one thing, though. I would, lo- I would love to ask those guys, because I saw those same those old videos where, if you're right at that pin, I'm going to tell you a pen. There oh, is no way. 100 they did. <laughs> God, green earth, Those guys are aiming to the right of that pin. I mean, there is no way. And any one of those guys that hit it right of the pin and told me he was aiming there, I'm going to call him a bold face liar.
1: <laughs> no, no way. No doubt think- about it. No doubt about it, Woody. I, I am curious. What I was going to ask was I mean, back in the day when you were on the PGA tour. Obviously, the holes weren't, you know, 215 to 230, but were there still just a bunch of long, boring par threes? Or does it seem like ever since, you know, the distance factor came in, uh, it, it seems like we just get a whole lot more of these long boring part threes. And that's one thing Pete Dye does. Well, what do you talked about the part threes at Oak tree? I think the toughest part three at Oak tree is 13. And that's the shortest one. Pete Dye does a great job of kind of making these short part threes really diabolical. Oh, I, I think,
2: I think it's amazing. Like you said, that there's 13. You could it looks so simple, but the green is what makes it difficult. So, designers if they're any good if i always learn from a good designer if if you've got a short iron into a green it's supposed to be a very undulating kind of difficult green a long club into a green supposed to give you a little bit more of a flatter uh easier way to get the ball onto the green so uh, nowadays they've changed a little bit because every green seems like it's diabolical but what we would always seem like we'd have sam is they'd only have one of those they'd throw there'd usually be one par three that was a little bit, you know, close to 200, a little over 200 yards, which meant when back in that time, we were hitting a lot of long irons at those uh, where <laughs> I see these guys now that are playing 200-yard holes and they're hitting six irons and seven irons. So, I, you know, I think all great golf courses have at least one of their four par threes will be – pretty long, and then the other three will be something that you've got to finesse a shot or move a ball a certain direction to get it close to the hole, which I think that's what it should be.
1: No doubt about it. I love TPC Sawgrass, and not necessarily would it be the best course for me or for, you know, the bombers out there on tour, but I just love watching how the tournament just flips on its head at the end, and T-Dub, we are going to be having guys battling for a whole lot of money this week, the most money that's ever been given out on the pga tour the winner is going to receive four and a half million dollars second place 2.725 million dollars third place 1.725 million dollars uh just speak a little bit do you like the the new purse at the players
0: oh i absolutely love it i think it's great for for what it's been i think you know woody brought this up a little bit earlier uh said that the the winning share now is bigger than the entire purse was with just a few years ago, in all honesty. I mean, it's crazy how much it's increased. And it's one of the things we've been clamoring on for years. One of the biggest things that I want these players to be paid what they should be for their compensation for how they do. And we're finally starting to see that. It, it took some aggressive changes needed, but it's finally glad it'll be done. I mean, you have to fin- if, if you, As long as you finish inside the top five, a, a solo top five, you'll get over a million dollars this week it's absolutely crazy and here's another to, to one see how I, if you
1: finish inside the top 13 you get over half a million dollars
0: I, 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 let's, put it, let's put it this way woody this is a good time if you ever want to find
2: a little bit of form on your game this is the week you want to do it, it it'd be a good it definitely would be a good week to have a good week uh and and you know what we're gonna see guys is is is, is our last podcast i was busting their chops about nobody can stay focused in a funny kind of way, I'm glad they can't because what it does is it makes great golf uh, because somebody doesn't run off and leave the field. So, you know, last week was a perfect example. What we have? Uh, seven, eight guys could have won the golf tournament. That's why our podcast took forever last Monday because we had to go over how each one of these guys screwed up. Get ready. You're going to get to see that again. I saw a stat, too, guys, that this just shows you how – golf is evolving and changing. Um, the top In the top 50, most, uh, most money in sports type personalities, eight out of the top 50 were golfers. Now, that shows you how times are changing. And let me tell you this, I think that number will grow. And what you will see is guys will be getting higher and higher up that list. Uh, not just Tiger, but Rory and a lot of guys, especially if if it evolves like we talked about, their little company, they're starting next year, Booms. Uh, they somehow find a way to own part of the PGA Tour. Uh, who knows, guys? The future is so out there. But eight out of 50 guys, uh, that was pretty impressive to me. I don't know about you all, but
1: I never thought we would see golfers with that kind of uh, income. No doubt about it, and we're not really going to harp on this because we spent our show on Monday talking about those PGA Tour changes, but Rory McElroy even admitted it, that this competition is, is growing the game of professional golf, um, and he admitted that it's been a good thing to have that competition. Speaking of Rory McElroy, in Vegas he is the favorite Along with John Rahm this week at plus eight fifty, Scotty Scheffler plus a thousand, Patrick Cantlay at plus nineteen hundred, along with Max Homa and Justin Thomas. Those are your top five slash six there. Um, but on data golf, dub, I'm looking here, and you can find some value this week, maybe even more than other weeks, considering the fact that Patrick Cantlay is your second favorite. So you have Scotty Scheffler at an 8.3% chance to win. Patrick Cantlay is second at a 5.1% chance to win. John Rahm at 4.8, Rory McElroy at 4.5, Colin Morikawa at 3.7, and Jason Day, who I picked last week, and I almost want to pick again this week, is at 3.3. But let's talk about Patrick Cantlay real quick, t Patrick Cantlay has that recent form, finished tied for fourth at Bay Hill, finished third at the Genesis, and here at the players is why I don't necessarily, you know, I I wouldn't throw all my chips in the Patrick Cantlay basket because in 2022, missed cut. 21, missed cut. 2020, obviously, got canceled, but he was playing well. 2019, missed cut, and then the first two times he played there, he finished 22nd and 23rd. I mean, what do you think – do you think that the recent form is more important or do you think that, you know, his course history is more important? Because if you're betting on Patrick Cantlay and think that the data golf is going to give you value, uh, then you're clearly going with recent form.
0: Well, I think I'm just a little bit burned on him, Sam, in all honesty, because I picked him at this tournament last year – and he missed the cut, and he actually got the good wave of the draw. He didn't even have to play in the horrible conditions, and he still missed the freaking cut. It was some of the worst golf I'd ever seen a top of player play because I watched very majority of it. And so, yeah, I, I'm not going to be on him very much. The recent form is there fourth last week at Arnold Palmer, third at the Genesis, so definitely has that going for him. But as you mentioned earlier, th- the three last times he's played this tournament where they actually end up finishing – He's missed the cut. so no, I, I, I'm not going to be on Patrick Cantley this week. I think it's at, at this point it has to be a little bit in his head at some point on this course because he just played so bad here last year, and he was also had good form coming in this tournament. And I, I don't know, maybe the analytics are weighing a little bit too much that he did shoot five under the uh, the one year with the with COVID year in 2020. So maybe they're weighing on that a little bit. And he did play good here 2017, 2018, but but even then his best finish year is only 22nd. So. I don't know. I'm probably going to stay a little bit away from Patrick Canley, but the analytics are high on him, and so you can probably get a little bit of value on him if you want to uh, bet on him in Vegas. So if you want to go a little bit of money on him, it's not the the worst bet in the world, but I'm going to stay away from that.
2: Sam, I got to tell you, though, I'm I'm impressed with this right here, what I just heard, that, that my man, T.W., my analytical son of a gun, the one that just stats me to death. <laughs> good for you, T-Dub. Way to go, baby. <laughs> Patrick Cantlay does not like this golf course. He is not going to play this golf course good. Way to go, buddy. Way to go from your heart instead of going with all those statistics. I'm proud of you. Well, well, what sometimes,
0: you- what he, sometimes what do you got to rely on? The, the eye test over the, uh, the numbers test. The eye test will tell you everything you need I to agree. know most of the
1: time. I totally agree. I agree. And so, what do you say? Cantlay's not going to play well. Let's talk about Rory, Scotty, and John Rahm, who, by the way, so Rory, uh, number of weeks uh, at world number one in 2023 five. Scotty Scheffler spent one week at world number one, and John Rahm has spent three weeks at world number one so far in 2023. Um, do you think the winner comes out of those three guys, or do you think that the winner comes out of the rest of the field, Woody?
2: You know, it boy, is that it is so hard to pick not against those guys. We haven't done our one and done yet, but I'm gonna tell you who I'm going with already. Go ahead. Uh, I, I'll, take it, I'll tell you who's gonna win this week. Victor Hoblin. I don't I hate that T- pick. T T-Dub, W going, Woody, you can't win in the I know what you're telling me. Yeah, he can't, he's got – let me tell you something. He's too good a golfer. He's been too close. He's been doing too many things. Somewhere, somehow, he's going to figure this out, gentlemen. He is going to get a win, and I'm going out on a limb because I'm saving all these guys in my one and my one-and-dones for the majors. But not this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I think he's going to be a sneaky one. So, yes, I think somebody else besides those three is going to win, if you want to ask
1: me. What do you – I will make the Victor Hovland case for you right here. So, last year at the Players' Championship, he led the field in strokes gained tee to green, but he lost over a half a shot around the greens and over a half a shot on the greens per round. And then we get to the Arnold Palmer, struck the ball amazingly well, but he lost over half a shot around the greens, but... He did gain a half a shot on the greens. So he has the putter rolling. And from the time of the BMW championship to the century tournament of champions, he played in what, seven events right there. He didn't lose shots around the greens one time. So he had figured something out with the chipping. He just had a bad chipping week last week. And in my opinion, at TPC Sawgrass, and TW I'll get your thoughts on this. You have to go with big-time ball strikers. I don't worry about the short game quite as much at TPC Sawgrass. I would be more apt to go with a Victor Hovland or a Will Zalatoris this week just because he's going to hit so many greens, and I like what he's picked. I really do.
0: I, I tend to favor the same way with the ball strike, especially from the fact that the wind is going to change uh, every single day, which is going to play a really big – and it's going to blow about probably anywhere from 13 to 18 miles an hour looking at the forecast with a little bit of rain uh, maybe coming in on Friday. So then another where maybe a, a good caddy will, will come in very experienced as well on this. And, yeah, also with the ball strikers too, when you have the the finishing holes that you have on this on this course and where all the trouble is, and especially coming down the stretch with all the pressure that you can have, I want someone who can be reliable off of the tee and coming into the green because it's going to – very like very un very heightened the chance that they're not going to have a catastrophic blow up. They're gonna be more likely to miss a four foot putt for par than they are to be able to put it in the water. So yeah, I could I could totally agree with that. But but Woody said it, and I'm I'm just gonna say it he hasn't won the United States yet. I called it, I thought he was gonna win the Genesis, early. I thought it was going to break the streak, Woody. So for on the show, we're oh for one on calling the Victor Hovland win, but maybe you're the good luck Charming. Woody, here.
1: one more point, not analytically here coming off the biggest disappointment maybe of his career last week when he had a great chance to win that golf tournament throughout the day uh, and kind of blew it. I mean, how do you bounce back after that? Do you think that he will be more focused this week or, or still kind of have a hangover from last week? I, I
2: don't see a hangover. I, what, I, what I truly believe that I love about Victor Hovland, I think he learns a lot with his mistakes. I really do believe that, gentlemen. I agree. I think, I think he does not beat himself up over his mistakes. He learns from his mistakes. That's why I say, at some point, he has got to bust through. He has got to win that big event. And hey, the other great thing about winning in Florida, guys, with a four point four five million for the winner, there's no state tax. That's right. <laughs> He's not winning in That's California where bend him over. He's winning in Florida, no state tax. That's another reason why I think he's going to win. I'm
1: all in for it. That's right. Uh, So we like Victor Hovland. I'm going to talk about a guy that I think that everybody should fade, and that is Tony Finau. Now, Tony Finau has played some solid golf recently. If you look at recent form, last what? I mean, eight tournaments, 24th, 20th, 14th, 9th, 16th, 7th, 7th win. But – at TPC Sawgrass, in his career, he's played here eight times. Miss cut, missed cut. He was going to miss the cut uh, it, when it got canceled in 2020. 22nd in 2019, 57th in 18, and then missed cut, missed cut. And the reason being is because he puts terrible at TPC Sawgrass. I'm saying fade Tony Finau this week, t
0: I'm I'm going to 100% agree with you, Sam. Just just mainly because of the course issue. Because the recent form is 100% there. He has not lost strokes gained approach to green, going all the way back to the Wells Fargo last year in May. So he's gotten something absolutely figured out in his swing, but. You mentioned the on the greens, but even around the greens, Sam, I mean, the, in what, the seven years that he's played here, he, he's lost strokes scan around the greens every year except one. So he, he, there's the, even if he is going to be hitting a lot of greens, he's going to have to be chipping a lot, very similar to what may happen with Victor Hovland. A tight Bermuda, especially if you get into the green, it's really, really hard to chip off of. Some of the stuff that is uh, of nightmares and can cause instant flubs. So uh, I, I'm definitely not looking at, at Tony Fiena this week. And also, too, we mentioned this earlier, you're not able to overpower this golf course. So there's a lot of holes where he's not able to hit driver. And there's a lot of holes where you need to hit some draws off the tee box. And he's a predominantly known for a fade player. So yeah, just the the continued list of reasons why I'm going to fade Tony Fina this
1: week. Woody, another guy that I think we should fade this week is Colin Morikawa. Now, Colin had a kind of a down year last year, um, has played some better golf leading up to the, the Arnold Palmer. He finished sixth, miscut, third, second, sixth, and a 15th thrown in there as well, so that's some really solid play to start 2023, but then he did miss the cut last week at Bay Hill, and it was because of the putting, and the putting is what hindered him last year, but the three times that he's played here at TPC Sawgrass, he's lost Strokes on the greens twice. I don't feel comfortable picking a guy that's not comfortable on these greens because the winner is going to be a great ball striker who somehow makes some putts that week.
2: I I, I guess we go back to what we had kind of talked about earlier. Those uh, California players, they don't really like Bermuda. Okay, they they they're just not that depth at putting on those surfaces. I that That's me. Now, having said that, they're world class players, so it's not like they can't putt on them. I just think it's a comfort level, okay? So, I saw I it again at Bay Hill. I thought, you know, Colin Markov was playing some really good golf, really good golf. All of a sudden, he just didn't look comfortable on those greens. So, um, you know, that's what people still don't understand, what makes these guys so unbelievably good. All the different grass they go around the country and play on, and usually they adapt to it pretty doggone good, right? Yeah. But they still have their favorite grass. They go to the putt, especially. Rolling the rock is so much confidence. And if you've got just a little kink in your armor, just a little bit of self-doubt or just trust is just a little bit off, makes all the difference
1: in the world. Woody, in the analytics, back up what you're saying. Who's the ultimate California player? That's, in my opinion, the fourth best player in the world right now, Max Homa. Let's go back right. to the Open Championship. That's where he lost strokes on the greens, and he gained strokes on the greens every single tournament until last week between the Open Championship and the Arnold Palmer, and at the Arnold Palmer, he lost over half a shot on the greens. I think that Mm -hmm. the Bermuda factor has something to do with that, and I don't like Max Homa this week for that reason. In his two times he's played in the Players' Championship, really played three times, but in 2020 it got canceled. But in the two times he's finished at the Players' Championship, he's missed the cut and finished 13th, and even in the time he finished 13th, he lost strokes on the greens, T-Dub. I don't like Max Homa this week either.
0: I think I'm a little bit down on him, maybe, compared to what other people are. But I do expect him to, to play halfway decent this week, just because his recent form has been there so well. But you, you did mention it. I mean, down on the Bermuda, he lost strokes gain around the greens last week at Bay Hill, and he lost stroke gain on the greens as well. So I think there's a there's a lot to what you're saying. I will say, in the in the three times you guys played here, he has gained stroke gain around the greens every time. So maybe there's a little bit of comfort in, in that avenue. But has lost strokes gain around the greens the last two years. So uh, I'm I'm not predicting Max to win the tournament, but but I don't expect him to to miss the cut either and have a horrible finish. It's just uh, maybe for the value that you'd get him at some places, there may be some other guys that you can get for maybe a little cheaper price.
2: Sam, I got a question for you because you've played it now much more than I have. I haven't even hardly been out there lately, but what's your feel? As a player – the difference between when Oak tree was bent and now it's Bermuda. What, what's your mindset? I see this would be a great question.
1: It's that's an interesting question because I almost felt like the greens were grainier when they were bent, which is why they redid them, Woody. And it's almost like you start a putt online now and it goes in um, and it starts where you want it to. Oak Tree's not a good example, Woody, because the new Bermuda greens out there, are not very grainy yet because they're new. Now, if grain comes in, then we're going to have that factor to talk about. But to be honest right now, these greens almost play more like bent than the ones that were bent before them, right? See, there's my point. That's That's exactly what I thought you would
2: say. Here's something that's changed with Bermuda. That grass strain they're using now is so much better. That is why we still... Believe it or not, guys. That's why, as these golf courses evolve and they change their green complexes out, Max Homa won where up in in North Carolina. What's the name of the golf? Quail line? Hollow. Where, Quail Hollow? Guess what those are?
1: They're that's Bermuda. That new
2: yeah. Strain of Bermuda. Yeah. Okay. So what is going to happen? Uh, it, ours is called Tiff Eagle. These grasses are getting so much better that the perception of Bermuda being a not as good a surface as bent is going to go away, gentlemen. I'm telling you, it's going to go away because yeah. Sam, you're spot on. They will keep the grain out of that grass at Oak Tree because they have now techniques to verticut and strip it where it won't grow back in. Before we didn't have that. Okay. So, I I guarantee you guys, different Bermudas act different. They do most dens when they're really good don't. But different Bermuda greens and grasses have kind of changed now. We're getting better, and the so technology I, too.
1: It allows technology them to do that. is
2: a lot. Yeah. So I still, but CTPC hadn't gone there yet. Bay Hill hadn't gone there. Okay, those are a little bit the older Bermuda that they actually even sprinkle a little rye in there to keep them green during the dead of winter. So yeah. there's a lot to them that people don't realize. And you're either comfortable on a putting surface or you're not. And no matter how confident you are, sometimes you can't fool yourself into believing you're good.
1: You no, just doubt. Can't. no doubt. Let's talk about a guy who's putted great recently and has putted great at TPC Sawgrass in the past. That is Jason Day, and Jason Day is going under the radar right now, but he has been, in my opinion, one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour in 2023. At the Arnold Palmer, he finished 10th. Riviera, 9th. Waste Management, 5th. Farmers, 7th. American Express, 18th. Those are his last five starts, guys. He's playing great golf and in every single one of those tournaments. He gained over a full shot on the greens at every single one of those, and he gained over two shots on the greens at the American Express. And, guys, he's won here before. He has a great record here. Not only is he won, but he has a tied for fifth, a tied for eighth, he has a tied for sixth in there as well. Jason Day, who has been off the map a little bit the last couple of years, is playing great golf again I picked him last week, so I can't pick him in my one-and-done, but if I was going to pick a winner of the golf tournament, I'm going Jason Day again just because of the odds factor and all of that. I don't necessarily think he's going to win the golf tournament, but I think he's your best bet this week.
0: There's extreme extreme value in Jason Davis. And it's been a beautiful thing to see. I mean, he's up to twelfth analytically in the world now, which is he's only a forty third in the official World Golf rankings, but a, a top fifteen player. And and all right so. I mean, he's he's gained over a full shot on the greens his last five events. It's been absolutely crazy to see how, how great he's been putting. And what what's interesting and one of the reasons why I just love how he's been playing is that he's kind of transformed his game to some extent, he's always been great around the greens and putting, but but he hits it a lot shorter now than he used to. But he's hitting it the straightest he ever has in his career, Woody. So it's, it's really a beautiful thing to see. I'm actually – you already gave one of your one-and-done picks. I'm going to go and give one of mine now. I'm going to go ahead and pick Jason Day. I hopefully, Sam was just a week early on his pick, and, uh, and he he'll end up having a bad. great week. He
1: finished th- tied for 10th. So that wasn't terrible for me on the one-and-done, by the way, last week.
0: And, and what, Woody, with the, with the way the purse is this week, I would take a top 10. That, that's going to give me a pretty decent uh, purse
2: size there gang <laughs> sure will and and you know the other thing that uh our boy jason's done is he has qualified for the masters this year and i'm like you sam i think it's cool that he's he's kind of revamped his game he is right you know as a golfer or, or an athlete in general you change you know you can't do what you once did some guys fight it and fight it and fight it and create injuries and do things like that. I think Jason was a little bit that way. He was a bomber. He liked to hit it long. And then one day he said, you know what, my body's not going to do this. Okay, so he got a teacher, and they worked on his golf swing. He did like all good players do. He had to fight through those demons. He had to work on the new golf swing. During the time he was working on it, boy, he hit it low. He was down there pretty low, but he he kept his nose to the grindstone and he came back. Those are the kind of people I'll pull for every time. That's a true champion. That's That's a guy that goes down to the very bottom almost and works his way back up. So... I, I'm pulling for Jason Day, for you, T-Dub, but he's going to bring second to Victor Hovland.
1: No doubt about it, guys. Let's go ahead and give our one-and-done picks. We've already given one of them at the players we give two, uh, if I'm not mistaken, T-Dub. We give two this week, right, for the one-and-done? Yes. yes. So that means that I am going with my first one-and-done pick this week. It's a guy that has been playing great Golf just hasn't really popped yet, and he's going to pop this week, and he's going to win this golf tournament. He hasn't missed a cut since the Scottish Open. And, guys, like his last five tournaments, 21st, 20th, 4th, 25th, 25th, 5th, and then he had a tied for 40th at the CJ Cup, but he finished 5th in the Tour Championship, guys. He's never missed the cut here at TPC Sawgrass. He's won here before, and he has a tied for 3rd as well justin thomas is going to win this golf tournament and he's the clear one and done pick for me i
0: thought about going with jt as well i think that he has a very good chance what is he got the six best odds i believe uh, to win at least analytically so i mean and in this tournament you have to go w- with the big dogs because it's the biggest person in the game so it's it, for the one and done this is one of the most influential weeks maybe the most influential week we'll have all all year so i'm going to run out the guy who the analytics actually looks at as an 8.1% chance to win and a 25% chance to finish in the top five, which would be great. Give me Scotty Scheffler. One of the things I am worried about is that he, he really hasn't played this course particularly well in the past. He, he, he did shoot four under the, the, the COVID year and didn't actually make the cut last year when he had the bad end of the draw. So that that's a little bit promising, but did miss the cut in 2021. A little bit worried there, but the recent form has just been so solid. Won the waste management fourth last week. Actually, should have finished a little bit higher if he didn't have a stupid bogey on the last hole. finished 12th at the Genesis, 11th of the American Express. i have to go all the way back to the CJ Cup to, to find a time that he finishes outside the, the top 12. So I don't know, Woody. You can give us your other one-done pick, but uh, I, I'm pretty confident in my two. Jason Day has been playing so well, and, and Scotty Scheffler, one of the top three players in the game. So I'm going to go ahead and ride with him.
2: Well, I think you guys are all going the right direction. You know, I'm not at any one of your old picks there. I'm. I'm going to tell you that I, I expect John Rom. I'm going to go with John Rahm this week. I think John Rahm has got just such a funny attitude right now. I think he was on this heater and he was feeling like he was a god, and then he kind of hit a stumbling block, and I think it irritated him. And I think it irritated him because everybody. I think there was a lot of people maybe didn't come out and say it, but a lot of them was going. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. I He wasn't going to keep that going. Anyway, you know, you know how that mumbling goes on. I think I think he heard a lot of that mumbling, and he said, I'll show you guys. I'm, I'm coming back. So I'm going to pick him and and uh, my buddy Victor. One of those two. Let's see if I do good on Sunday.
1: Number one, Woody, I want you to kind of break down Rom's misses last week. Does that worry you at all? Maybe break down why he is missing left so much with the driver especially.
2: You know, Rom is such a funny cat to watch play golf. Um, if you look at the setup, you, you, it just scares me to death how far left it looks like sometimes he aims. Um, he, he's always played Sam, though, since he was little, partly because of his clubbed right foot. A lot of people don't understand that when he was a baby, he was born with a clubbed foot. His right foot was uh, it wasn't. Forms like uh, all of ours, so he struggled when he was a young man to get that fixed, so to speak. But it, it what it did is it made him swing a club, a John Rom the only way he can. He keeps planted on his right foot. Okay, so that's a very short, very what we would a lot of people would call flat, right? Laid off is another term you hear when you play from that position. You must block the golf ball. There is no way that you can actually release the golf club as we see lots of uh, players do it. Um, it's, a, it's a holding motion. We said it a number of times. I told you it looked like Lee Torino back in his day, where he gets a little bit under the golf ball and he blocks everything. If Rom's tempo is a little bit off, he will tend to shut that club face. That's his left miss. I, I I'm gonna tell you honestly, yeah, Sam, you're right. His left miss scares me to death, especially at TPC. Uh, we 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 know where left is on that golf course, and it's ugly. So I think if 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 I was sitting there as his teacher, I'm not really sure that I would let him keep aiming more and more left. I think sometimes he gets too far left. Does that make sense? Whenever you're swinging a driver, right, because the the club starts moving up, so you hit
0: it on an upward attack angle. So whenever you swing up, the club starts moving left versus an iron whenever you hit down, the club moves to the right. So you get someone like Victor Hovland who aims right with his driver and so good with his driver – And one of the reasons is because he's able to do that and the club is able to move more left. So to to Woody's point, if you're aimed super left with the driver, the club needs to start moving more to the right, which means that you start hitting down on it. And that's one of the worst things that you start doing with your driver because then you're adding spin on it and starts getting more crooked. So just wanted to make his point there that uh, that's one of the main reasons why I think a ROM aiming more left is even worse than someone else who traditionally aims too far to the right.
1: Guys great points there and great insight with John Rahm obviously still a great pick this week but we have seen some some signs that you know it might not be you know the best pick this week at TPC Sawgrass but it's still John Rahm I would not be surprised if he wins the golf tournament guys my second one and done pick I am going with Woody on this one I'm going with the guy who hasn't missed a cut since the Scottish Open last year that's a long time guys and he's played very consistent golf. Just hasn't quite popped yet. He should have won the golf tournament last week and didn't. He's going to bounce back this week. Give me Victor Hovland as my second one and done pick. And his two times, like I said earlier, to play here at the Players, he finished tied for ninth and has a missed cut. But in that tied for ninth, he lost over a half a shot around the greens and over half a shot on the greens and still finished in the top 10. Give me a, an elite ball striker this week. It was I flipped a coin basically between him and Will Zalatoris. I'm going Victor Hovland. Woody convinced me to go with Victor Hovland as my second one-and-done pick this week. Uh, T-Dub, I'm curious. None of us picked Rory McIlroy. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, I think
0: one of the things is that Rory's game traditionally really does not set up well for this course. You know he won here in 2019, but as we mentioned numerous times already through the show, you're not able to overpower this golf course. He's not able to use the main element uh, that he has going on. So I actually do have Rory in my DraftKings lineup, so hopefully he does pretty good there. And, but I am a little bit worried about it. He has missed five cuts here in the times that he's played, so he is a little bit hit or miss, but uh, some of the other guys I have in my DraftKings lineup, Kramer Hickok is my cheapest guy. He's down at 6000 I had to find someone to get the bottom of the barrel, but he's played here twice, made the cut twice, and made the cut at his last two events at Honda Classic and the Genesis, so that's not too bad. Um, two guys at 7400 who I think are really, really good values are Keith Mitchell and Corey Connors. Keith Mitchell has been playing exceptionally great golf. One of the best drivers in the game, probably a top five driver currently, and finished 13th here last year, so I like that pick a good amount. Then, Corey Connors, who has not missed a cut going all the way back to the Fortnite Championship in in September. So he's been playing really good and has never missed the cut here, finished seventh here in 2021, finished 26th last year in 2022. So I expect him to play good. The other two guys I have in my lineup we talked about, uh, Will Zalatoris. you almost picked your one and done, Sam. I think he's going to have a pretty good week this week. I did pick him last week at the Arnold Palmer, so hopefully maybe I was just a week early on that pick. Played here twice, 26th and 21st. In there, and then actually, your other one and done pick, Sam Justin Thomas, is also in my lineup. So uh, your your picks may be a little bit They're screwed doomed. this week. But JT, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely screwed, buddy. But but JT has been playing some good golf. It's not the defending champion. His golf channel like to say last night he did win two years ago though, so it was very impressive. I actually picked him in the one and done that year when he won. So maybe you can have a little bit of luck that I had two years ago, Sam. That'd be pretty nice.
1: Guys, I'm very, very excited for this players championship. Um, any final thoughts on the players, Woody? Uh, after everything that we talked about,
2: yeah. Uh, going back to Rory, uh, he's he's got too much
1: on his plate.
2: He, I, he, I don't care how good you guys, how good he is. I don't care. He has got so many distractions going on, and he needs to figure out real quick. Augusta's right around the corner. He needs to get focused on his golf and quit trying to be the PR champion for the PGA Tour. I I, I think that's going to be a downfall for him. If he doesn't, quit worrying about all that and get back playing
1: golf. No doubt about it, guys. Uh, A couple more best bets I want to get to. I really like Keegan Bradley. He's been striking the ball very nicely as of late and has a decent history at TPC Sawgrass. Ricky Fowler, by the way, he's won here before and is seems like he's getting his game back a little bit. Matthew Fitzpatrick and Terrell Hatton, also at plus 3,400. Those are two guys that I would always give a shot Here at TPC Sawgrass, any other long shots, T Dub, that you kind of like?
3: Uh, yeah,
0: there's there's a few of them on here. Um, one guy we didn't talk about is Sung JM. I feel like that he's just so
1: consistent every single week. He'd be he'd be a guy that you'd have to look at. We hadn't really T Dub one point on Sung J. I mean, last year he was coming off the win right at, at the Honda. Did he win at the Honda? He always, like, wins during the Florida swing, and then, you know, it, it's almost like he's tired by the time it gets to the players. This year he played solid at the Honda and at, the, at Bay Hill. But he's not coming off a victory this year, right? Or even, you know, being top two or three in the golf tournament at Bay Hill or the Honda. He loves playing in Florida. I wouldn't hate that pick either. I don't think that's a bad pick whatsoever.
0: Yeah, just just someone who consistently always flies under the radar. His best finish here is 17th. So hasn't particularly played this course exceptionally well. but, But just like I said, one of those consistent guys can look at. We hadn't really talked about Cam Young much. This isn't a course that particularly suits up well for him, but he's so a, extremely talented that you think that he, he should come around. And a guy who has probably the best record here that we have not talked about is Tadeki Up until the last couple of years, he, he had played here exceptionally, he had uh, 7th, 17th, 23rd, and 8th in there. So never really won here, but, but has always played this course particularly well. Doesn't really have the recent form, though. No, missed the cut, the Genesis, and missed the cut last week. At the Arnold Palmer, but if you're a guy who who likes course history and someone who plays venues well, a horse for courses type of guy, Hideki would probably be in that list. Even though I probably wouldn't favor him can, extremely
1: well. You can get Hideki at plus eighty five hundred. That's extreme value for a guy like Hideki.
0: It absolutely is, but that also is just a testament to how he really has not been playing yeah,
1: very good golf. That's right. So it's
0: uh, you, you know you, you you get the price tag. let you go for another guy we hadn't really talked about who lives down in that area. Played pretty good at the Honda Classic. It's Shane Lowry. He's finished uh, 13th and 8th here the last two years, so I wouldn't be shocked to see him play pretty well. He's another guy that you can probably get for fairly good value.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, Billy Horschel also lives down there, but he has a terrible record at TPC. Uh, that's an interesting thing that I guess we could spend a couple minutes here talking about, about when tournaments come to your home golf course, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I disagree with a lot of things Billy Horschel says, but what he said yesterday made sense about the fact that you know, it, it's not the same as when I play it ten times a year when it's a when it's for the Players' Championship. They changed the course conditions up. This week, the rough is going to be topped out at three and a half inches. The wind is going to be coming from all four directions. Woody, uh, did you ever think that? I don't know if you ever had a tournament at your home course or a course that you play a lot, but I thought that that was an interesting point that Billy Horschel made.
2: About the only thing I can remember, Sam, that I had kind of like that. We played our uh – I think it was 2000, they had the National Club, champ, Club Pro Championship at Oak Oaktree. Um, and it played absolutely nothing like it normally did. I'd never seen the rough that deep. Uh, I, I, it had been a long time since I'd seen the greens that fast. So it wasn't even close to the same golf course. In fact, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe. It was so much harder during the golf tournament, the, the Club Pro Championship, than I'd ever seen Oak Tree play. So, in fact, it went down in the annals. It's still the highest cut of any national Club Pro Championship ever played anywhere, even Kiowa over there wow. on the island. What it was, was 13, it? Do you remember? 13 over par made the cut. <laughs>
1: oh my god! <gosh>. Wow. 13 <laughs> oh. over par. Guys, this There were a was, lot of people cussing out Pete Dye that week. Oh, my gosh. It was a death march.
2: It was the hardest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, when you talk about it, I know, I still remember to this day I shot – the third round I shot 70 with a double at 17 because I shot at the front pin like a moron instead of just hitting the ball on the green. And then the fourth round got canceled – and I ended up in a tie for eighth. If I would have, uh, if I just made par there, I'd have finished tied for third and, or actually had a pretty good shot and went in the golf tournament in the fourth round. But, uh, when we were talking about a hole to just give me a three, that was something that was funny, you know. So typical of that. Hey, I don't mean to change the subject, but did you guys see something? It's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Did you see Scotty Scheffler's caddy? when he let out that Yes, huge we fart.
1: played it on the radio show on Sunday Woody <laughs> <laughs> Ted Scott <laughs> And that is so funny. What <laughs> out the fart on I was, the live mic? I,
2: I'm sorry. I missed, I missed the radio show. I didn't know you'd covered that. But was that one of the funniest things you've ever seen in golf? And what did he say to him? He says, that's my bad. Yeah, that was
1: my bad. <laughs> and then Scotty starts laughing before he has to hit this shot. I think Scotty uh, was like, hey, by the way, there's mics here. Uh, anyways, that was good stuff. By the way, another funny thing that we might see this week at the players is Cam Smith, the real defending champion, says there's a chance he might go hang out and have some beers with the fans on 17 at sawgrass (laughs) how about that because he lives right down the road t-dub
0: i mean what an absolute legendary move that would be i I mean he would go in the annals of golf history he would would automatically be inducted in the world golf hall of fame if
2: he did that in my opinion he's got to guys he's got to If, if he doesn't Will, no, he won't. He will do it because he's just that kind of guy. I guarantee he's going to be somewhere out there. I told you guys what would be funny is if he gets really right where the camera can't miss him, right behind that 17th tee box, <laughs> and he's got a cooler beer just sitting there in his, in his uh, you know, Australian hat and shorts going, hey, nice shot, guys.
1: Oh, I love it. I love me some Cam Smith. That would be, like T-Dub said, one of the most legendary moments in history. And I think that he hadn't really thought about it until that, uh, that interviewer asked him the question saying, will you go out there? I mean, is there a chance? And he's like, you know what? there's a chance that I might go out there. That would be pretty funny. Uh, Cam Smith, if he makes an appearance at the Players this week. Guys, those are the funny stories of the game of golf right now. There is one interesting story that broke this morning. Tiger Woods' latest girlfriend of about six years, this is from TMZ, is taking the golf legend to court over in NDA. She claims he made her sign when they began the relationship, and she is citing a law that prohibits NDAs when there's evidence of sexual assault or harassment. Um, I guess this uh, relationship actually ended last fall, but the news has just broke uh, you know, about all of this, and um, I-, I just think it's interesting that this story breaks on players week it sounds like a money grab to me just in the beginning but I guess we'll see how this goes
0: yeah I mean we'll we'll see how how it evolves over time and we'll see what all transpires but at the end of the day it sounds like she wants to get the non-disclosure agreement thrown out so then she can really say everything that happened in her entire relationship which was something like hey Haney you can sell a book and you can make a lot of money off that Woody so uh like I said maybe we'll see some more stuff come out of it but at
2: least on the surface of it that's what it looks like to me what do, we, what do we always say in our podcast? follow the money follow the money um I, I i i guys i hate it it's such a travesty that that it's not just in the sporting world it's almost anywhere where oh the somebody that is uh, called very elite or at the top um Somebody's always looking to get something in the end. Uh, they they have to be so guarded and so protected. You know what? If if you told me tomorrow, gentlemen, I could trade places with Tiger Woods, I'd tell you no thank you. I wouldn't want anything to do with how he has to live his
1: life. No, nah, no, nah, I'm out. It's crazy, and the Tiger still has to deal with this stuff, and uh, I guess we'll see where the story goes from now. But like I said, the breaking news from TMZ – Uh, saying that his ex-girlfriend Erica uh, has has basically taken Tiger Woods to court. So we'll see where that goes, guys. Last thing here, speaking of uh, going to court, uh, Phil Mickelson has been very vocal the last couple of days on Twitter, uh, talking about different things. One being before he left brought a, a $1 billion commitment from a current PGA Tour partner to have eight elevated events, and Jay Monahan basically told him to get lost. And then, uh, you know, we heard we heard different quotes from Jay Monahan yesterday. Um, and then Phil Mickelson tweets out this morning, by all means, please ask Jay Monahan about this. I'd love for him to be on the record about this or the OWGR being tied to their TV deal, talking about the PGA Tour, and then quote, or anything else that I have said. I have multiple layers of proof on all of it. Let's see how he chooses to respond. And I'm curious if anyone will even ask. T-Dub, any thoughts on that quote? That's a pretty powerful tweet right there from Phil Mickelson.
0: Yeah, I think, as great as it would be, I think the odds of Jay Monahan getting asked anything about that are about slim to none. I mean, there's zero chance. And if it does happen, I'll be shocked. I'd love to hear his answer see what he says. He'll probably just kind of brush it off, give some, The team speak or whatever you want to phrase it, just kind of beating around the bush. But uh, I mean, I feel like these are all things that we kind of knew, right? That that these were all behind the scenes things. We just didn't know the extent of the details. And Phil's at a point now where he just doesn't really give a shit and he wants to let everyone uh, know what the deal was. So I don't know what is a former player. You might have a little bit more
2: uh, passionate thoughts about it than myself. I, I'm not shocked in any way, shape, or form. The cover-up is uh, always there. It's no different than when they squelled it back way back when in the '90s when he wanted to get that deal started with the uh, Greg Norman wanted to get the world tour started and uh, Dean and Tim Fincham put a squell on that and stopped it immediately. So, uh, guys, I've I've made it clear to you all along that uh, the PGA tour is after one thing and that's for themselves. They need the Rory's. They need a certain group of guys, but they don't really need all the rest of them. They just have to deal with them the best they can. So,
1: It's a closed
2: little fraternity, gentlemen. It
1: always has been, and it will not change. No doubt about it. And if you're curious on those uh, PGA Tour changes that have been made recently and maybe what the future uh, landscape of professional golf might look like, we did a deep, deep dive in our last podcast, the podcast before this one, into all those changes, and and so go back and listen to that, and it might give you some more understanding about the professional golf landscape right now. Uh, Woody, it is time to tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. Our great friends at the bank of Quail Creek, as I call it. You know, as, as a kid, I grew up right
2: by that bank. I was lucky my mom and dad banked there, all of our families banked there. So I've always had that personal relationship with them, I wish that everybody else could have that. And you can. All you've got to do is go buy that bank. And you'll see very quickly how personable everything about that bank, from their ATM, no fees, uh, their loans, all the people that work there. It's a great bank, guys. It it has always been, and it will never change. You're looking for a new bank, or you just came into town, happened to listen to our podcast, and you're wanting to find a bank? Quail Creek Bank. 122nd, North May. I say it every time. Go see them. They won't let you down.
1: Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. Also, go visit our friends at GolfOklahoma.org. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job covering local and college golf in the state of Oklahoma. Now it is time to bring on our giant guest. Our special guest, Charles Howell III, who won at Live Golf Mayakoba last week, coming up on the 73rd hole right after the break.
3: When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McCray Roofing. McCray Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McCray Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs.
1: And we are back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of golf Oklahoma. And like I mentioned before the break, we are joined by a legend in the game of golf, a very special guest. And he won on live last week at live Maya Coba. That's Charles Howell the third Charles, thank you so much for doing this with us and making the time today.
2: Well, listen, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've uh, obviously followed uh, you, your, you guys in the show for quite some time now, and uh, I appreciate you uh, You have me on here.
1: No doubt about it, and obviously, Charles, formerly of Oklahoma State, we'll get to that later on, but Charles, we got to start with your win at Mayakoba, one of the most flawless, unflappable final rounds I've ever seen, playing with two other former Cowboys in Taylor Gooch and Peter Uline, but you go out there, you shoot 30 on the front nine, and not only win for yourself, but win for the team as well team crushers just kind of take us through that week and, and tell us all about the experience well you know my
2: is a place uh i've been there quite a few times with the pga tour over the years and um you know it's a golf course when you first see it it's quite uncomfortable yeah there's uh hazards and mangroves and mess on the both sides of every fairway. um so you know I think it definitely was to my advantage that I'd been there and played there so many times and seen it in different, uh, wind directions, but you know, the pairing, the final day was really comfortable for me, of uh, you know, playing with Peter and Taylor, uh, obviously two Oklahoma state guys, but we've also been paired together, uh, funnily enough, the first round. So <laughs> a bit of a repeat pairing, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you I mean, I'm I'm old enough and have played this game long enough. I think sometimes you wonder if you'll ever win a golf tournament again. And um, man, to pull it off on Sunday was uh, it was awesome.
0: I mean, Charles, it was just an absolute thing of beauty watching you just stripe it down those fairways, essentially in between that jungle that they that they had down there in Mayakoba. What what exactly did you do in the off season to come in this tournament so sharp? You traditionally did it in the past as well. You'd always start the season off at the Sony Open in Hawaii. Well, so just take us through what you do in the off season to uh, to get your game where it needs
2: to be. Yeah, this was the longest break uh, that I've ever had uh, in my career uh, from, you know, one golf tournament to the next. And uh, I, I made a I made a better effort to play more while I was home. Um, I love to practice. I love hitting range balls, love putting and chipping and all that kind of stuff. But but I, I I was more disciplined in going out with one ball and playing golf and keeping a score and kind of keeping the scoring side of my game a bit sharper uh, you know, that that is the one thing, you know, that's different now on Live playing less tournaments is, is is it's hard to play your way into form. Where, you know, the PGA Tour, I know throughout my career, I always played better my second or third week in a row than my first. So, you know, that was obviously a big concern here. And where so I try to have almost many golf tournaments at home uh, with myself and with some other people just so it kind of felt like, all right, I've already been playing a bit and let's just keep rolling. Hey, Charles, it's Woody. I think a lot of our listeners, and I I know me personally, would love to know this because you are so consistent. You know, to think that you played 23 years on the PGA Tour and never had – well, you made a million dollars or more every year, which is just phenomenal to me. But when did you say to yourself – and it was probably, I'm sure, Heather and and your family, you guys got together and you said, okay – I need to look at doing this live what what was it, and when was it? How did you come to it so great question um so you know I'm friends with uh, a lot of the European guys that live here in orlando uh you know Hendrik Stnsenni and Graham McDowell, and you know for years those guys have gone and played overseas in the Middle East, you know they've played in uh Dubai Abu Dhabi, and all the and so you know they've known about this idea. Obviously the name has changed multiple times throughout the years, but they've known about this idea far longer than I have. And I was kind of first exposed to it just kind of by them talking and me listening. Um, and you know, as it, you know, kept going along and going along, I think there was a lot of doubt and question whether it would even get off the ground. Um, you know, and then the tournament in London comes around and it does get off the ground and, Uh, and then you fast forward a little bit and the event in Portland gets off the ground and, um, you know, around that time, uh, you know, Bryson, uh, expressed interest in me about joining his team. Um, so, you know, from what I understand about that time, the team captain started to have a lot more, uh, power in choosing their team than just live and live golf recruiting guys over. So, you know, that's kind of when our, you know, when our decision kind of, you know, became, you know, quite real Um, for me and and for my family, because it was all of us deciding. I mean, everybody, you know, had a vote and some others around me. And, you know, I wanted something uh, new. I wanted something a little bit different. Um, I was already playing less golf to the less golf thing. I mean, it was appealing, but I was already going to do that on the PGA Tour anyway, as played my 15. Um, But. I think what made it fun was our kids are of the age where they can travel and they're going to travel the world with me. And, um, you know, that was kind of the thing that swung it for me is, you know, like last year they came to Dubai, uh, with me in Bangkok. And then in a few weeks time, we're going to go down to Australia and Singapore. Uh, they're going to come with me. And I mean, listen, we get to play golf tournaments along the way, but I get to show them the world and, um, that really was it. And, um, uh, I, I know that uh you know people can have their own opinions and say whatever and you know I can't speak for other guys going to live and what their reasons were but for me that that was really it it was uh' it was a really neat experience that towards the end of my career um I get to travel the world with my family so um that's uh that sounded like something I wanted to try and and here we are
1: that's great stuff Charles and you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau and obviously a part of the crushers with Paul Casey and Honor Bon Lahiri what's it like being a part of a team again after you know it's been so long since you've been at Oklahoma State do you like the team aspect and maybe tell the listeners a little bit of insight what it's like being a teammate with Bryson DeChambeau
2: so you're right it's been a minute since we were uh, in Stillwater at Oklahoma State part of the team and um. Yeah, it, it definitely brings up a, a completely different element where I'm playing for myself, but I'm also playing for teammates. And uh, as time goes on and as Liv evolves, uh, the team aspect is going to become more and more important. And so there is definite pressure every single day uh, that I am responsible to my teammates. Um, Bryson as a captain has been awesome. Um the way I describe Bryson to people is he he's a golf maniac um and he just loves it and he can't get enough of it and uh he shuts down the driving range every night um and it's just it's what he does I mean he is a golfer um now our team is a bit spread out you know I live in Florida Paul Casey lives in Arizona Honor Bon Lahiri lives in Dubai and then Bryson is in Dallas so you know, our team, our, we we get together, let's say via Zoom calls, uh, practice rounds together at events and you know team functions and whatnot. So yeah, you, it's kind of new in a way because it's been long for all of us since we played for a team. But um, it is the one element of live that the PGA Tour doesn't really have that we're uh, we're hoping resonates and takes off.
0: Charles, when we had Taylor Gucci on a few months ago, one thing he just raved about was the the, the great condition that, that all the courses you guys are playing. Now on living, it seems like a lot of courses that you guys have played so far really suit your game well, so kind of just take us through how the condition of the courses have been that you played and also how the future venue set up uh, for your game in particularly Cedar Ridge coming up here in may
2: so you know Greg Norman, our commissioner um obviously he you know his record speaks for itself and and he he wants the golf courses difficult um he wants the whole locations difficult he wants them set up difficult every day so um you know, so obviously, straight down from him, we know we're going to be playing hard golf courses and they're going to be set up hard. So, um, you know, one thing I've noticed with only 48 guys in the field, the greens don't really get chewed up, uh, like they did at some, you know, full field events that I played in the past where, you know, those late afternoon tea times, the greens look like a minefield. Um, you know, that's just kind of one thing I've, I've noticed, especially evident at Mayakoba. Um, but, you know, listen, it, it's, yeah, you know, we're really excited about the venue in Oklahoma. I know that um that was something that we worked hard on, uh starting last uh, the end of last September actually. And um, you know, obviously I Oklahoma's my second home and and I think they're the sports fans there are the best in the country and um you know, Oklahoma was a, a venue that uh that Live Circled that they wanted to go to and uh man we're all excited for it. Well, not as excited as we are. We can't wait for you guys to get That's here. Right. I can tell you that. I I've tried ahead. to tell, I tried to tell all my friends, guys. You you are you don't even realize how great an opportunity this is because a, a few of them have gone. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. And I said, go, go to it and watch it. So, I'm I'm, Charles. I was lucky enough that when I was playing, uh, I actually got to play with Norman and I got to be around Norman. Yep, and. Uh, I tell these guys on this podcast all the time. I mean, this guy was special. He was a Adonis. He was built when nobody was built. He bombed his driver. He's as, as determined of any individual I've ever met in my life. Tell our viewers or our listeners a little bit about Greg Norman, if you can, because he's getting beat up. And, I get it. I mean, I can see why people are jealous of him and don't like him, but he, he's really probably the best guy you could have in charge. Don't you agree? Well, so, really interesting. So when I, I turned pro in 2000, and shortly thereafter, Greg Norman called and invited myself and Adam Scott to play together in the Shark Shootout. So, literally, from the very beginning of my pro career, Greg has been great to me. Now, Uh, I understand we played in different eras and generations and time, um, but multiple times Greg has reached out to me for advice, giving me advice. Uh, Even as recent as the middle end of last year, uh, he reached out to me about my putting and and helped me out. So, you know, I I don't see Greg um, in the light that others see Greg in. Um, You know, this, and Greg always told, me uh, when I was making my decision to go to live and he said this publicly that live was always designed to be additive to this entire system that whatever we want to call this ecosystem of pro golf live was designed to fit within that and live was never once meant to be uh, subtractive from pro golf Uh, it was never meant to fracture pro golf it was meant to be a part of pro golf and I think if you I think I could speak for every live guy to say they all echo that same thing as well. And, um, you know, we're talking about 14 events here. We're not talking about a full 40, you know, six week schedule, um, that it it can fit within the ecosystem and the team concept is different. Um, so, you know, Greg probably was the guy to get this off the ground. Uh, I mean, he's, a very smart man. He's not really afraid of controversy. Um, you know, he's very convicted in what he believes in. Um, and you're right, you know, he has been beat up and I guess time change comes, there is going to be some, you know, uncomfortability around that. But, uh, it's, all I can speak to is how he's been to me and he's been great.
1: Charles, that's really interesting, and we talked about on our last show kind of the landscape of professional golf right now, and for the golf fan, I'm trying to tell people this is this is golf paradise. You have the elevated events on the PGA Tour, and you have the live events when there's not elevated tour events, and I think that these tours can coexist together and a lot of people have asked me, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because you're inside of Live. Um, you know, what is the end game here? When does everybody stop arguing? I mean, even we heard Rory McRoy admit this week that, you know, Live Golf has been great uh, for professional golf. And to me, I heard you give a great answer uh, during one of your interviews in the past saying, if the majors would just give live 10 or 15 spots into the major championships, I think that would fix a lot and then we would stop worrying about all the problems with the OWGR. Can you expand on that a little bit as far as what you would do if you were the decision maker in all of this to get people to stop, you know, kind of arguing with each other? Oh, great question.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, listen, first off, I don't think there's I don't think there's anyone out there that that enjoys or likes golf at the highest level being fractured and i think that when the emotion calms down on both sides and i think when the pettiness calms down and goes away i'm hoping that uh people can sit together in a room because there are smart people on both sides here and and can figure this out and um there is an outcome here which is a huge win for the game of golf um now personally my opinion i wouldn't have bifurcated the tour with the elevated and non-elevated events. Um, you know, I echo a lot of the same sentiment as James Hahn on that, but listen, I'm not, I'm not a part of, you know, of that decision-making right now. So, um, you know, but with Live, you know, there, you know, a, an option here is for the majors to reach out and expand the, the top, however many, let's call it 10, 12, 15 uh, guys off the Live golf league uh, exemptions into the majors. And, Maybe maybe we exist that way. The PGA Tour has their product, and, and we have ours that live, and we all meet together in the majors. Um, maybe that's an option. I, I, I don't know. But I, I do know that if you were to ask guys across both sides, I think bringing golf back together in some form uh, needs to be priority number one. Uh, and I think the end result of that could be a massive win for the game across all of Charles, along, along those similar
0: lines, we, we deep dive into the analytics of golf very, very extensively on this show. And, and on the site we use, you're currently ranked 34th on on, on this analytics site. On, in comparison to that, 314th in the official world golf rankings. It's just an absolute <laughs> joke at, at this point to show how ridiculous it is. So w- 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 what, in your opinion, needs to be done to where we can have a, a universal, essentially, where we can value all these players now that we have people playing on two different tours?
2: Well, I think something very similar to what you just spoke of is 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 we need an independent body. Uh I saw where Sports Illustrated um you know came out with their ranking system. Um, you know, we've had the ability into the past to rank people across a whole wide array of tours. You know, the the World Golf Ranking System has done this for many, many years. And so you know, I, I think not only for the fan, but for criteria into certain golf tournaments, a cohesive world ranking system would be ideal. Um, the way that it is now, I'm not sure anybody quote agrees with that system. And and listen, I've never been the number one ranked player in the world, but if I'm the number one ranked player in the world now, I, I want to I want to have all players in. That would just be me personally. You know, I. I wouldn't want an asterisk by any part of that. I would want to know, man, I'm number one in the world over everyone. Um, now I've never been that before, but that's how I would want it. Um, and I, listen, I, I think there's more agreements amongst players than there are differences. Um, you know, a lot of times these massive differences want to be highlighted and certain, you know, people in the media have chosen to take massive stands on one side versus the other, but you know the truth and the best outcomes are somewhere in the middle of all this, and um, I still go back, and I know this is you know ad nauseum, but I still go back to the amount of times Greg Norman has said that Live wanted to be additive and work within the ecosystem of golf, and and listen, I I've got to know some of the executives and the, and the gentlemen behind Live Golf, and they they feel the same way. You know, this is um, you know, they echo the exact same things that that our commissioner Greg Norman has said. Hey, hey, Charles! Don't don't believe that analytics from Woody's standpoint. I, that's why I love doing this with these two young bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know an analytic if it came up and bit me. My hardest question at OSU was statistics, and I still don't know how I passed it. So, I'm with you, sir. I'm with. Uh, you. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna change a little bit off of live if you don't mind, because I I know a lot of our listeners are older guys, and they they know your career, but. I was looking back through your career, and I was—I knew you were good, but dude, you were really good. And that longevity, <laughs> the longevity you had, is just still mind-boggling to me. And still, not that you're done by any stretch of the imagination, as we saw when you won just two weeks ago. Here's something though that I was reading in your stats, or looking back through your record. In 2003, you played in a Presidents' Cup. Yep, and you were paired in two different matches with Tiger Woods. He was yes. your partner. Yes. Now tell our listeners. I can't even imagine having Tiger Woods as my partner. Were you intimidated? Were you just in hog heaven? What was that like? So, um, Tiger, when I first came out on the PGA Tour, my rookie year was the end of 2000, you know, beginning of 2001. Uh, Tiger was very good to me. Um, we played a lot of practice rounds together. Uh, he's the reason I play early practice rounds. You know, he wanted to beat the crowd out there, which I understand. And so he had a massive influence on me. And when I qualified for the president's cup in 2003, uh, you know, Tiger reached out and said, Hey, um, let's play our matches together. And of course, immediately my heart sinks and thinking, Oh my gosh, like, I'm perfectly happy letting myself down. I don't want to let down Tiger Woods. (laughs) So, um, it, it was a nerve wracking experience. It was an unbelievable learning experience. Um, you know, and the guys that obviously that he's always going to draw against me. And so we played against the likes of Ernie Els, uh, Goosen, you know, who were obviously the other best players in the world at the time. It was a massive learning experience for me. Um, now, in and amongst that, Tiger carried me around and, uh, and we did okay. But my goodness, when I look back at that, you know, essentially I was still green behind the ears here and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to play golf with Tiger Woods in a president's trump on this worldwide stage. And, um, as much as it was nerve wracking, it, it was a lot of fun. And, um, and those are, those are the times when I look back on my career that, that were, uh, were some of the best and most fun.
1: No doubt about it. By the way, I've played many rounds as Charles Howell on on the Tiger Woods video games in the past as well. So, so he, he did you a favor putting that putting you on those games. But Charles, back yeah. to live real quick. Um, you know, I'm curious, and I, I get a lot of questions about this as well. and We've seen what Phil Mickelson has said about the OWGR and and the TV yep. contracts and all of that. He's been very outspoken, especially the last couple of days on Twitter. But I just want to ask you a simple question. What should strength of field be based off of? And, and then my other question to that, the, to kind of follow up with that, is what was your biggest problem with Jay Monahan when you were on the PGA Tour, if you even had one? Um, so, okay,
2: so speaking on Jay, Jay's been nothing but wonderful to me. Uh, Jay's a very nice man. I knew him back from you know, the days he was involved with the uh, Deutsche Bank tournament up in uh, outside of Boston. And and I never had a problem with Jay. Um, really, to this day, I don't have much of a problem with Jay. Um, you know, apart from you know wherever he you know may stand in not bringing the game back together. But that's more of a um, that's more of a want for the the very top of the game to be brought back together for me, uh, selfishly as a fan. Uh, but for me also as you know showcasing all the best players in the world together. Um, for an accurate ranking system and for the top premier level tournaments, so um yeah that's but jay Jay, and I have absolutely no issues whatsoever uh, to this day, at least from my point of view um you know, and then you know, on the other thing, I really don't know i mean what what I do know is is that certain players, still Moson be one of them know a lot more than I do, and then within live, you know obviously every team has a captain, the captains know another level more than let's say what I know. Um, so a lot of the things that Phil brought up and, and put out there, I didn't even realize that exists. So um, I do know though that when there are issues, let's say when in TV contracts and TV contracts dollars, you know, on both sides, doesn't it all work itself out? And makes it makes a lot more sense if the game is brought back together uh, versus this quote, you know, war mentality, you uh, that some people are using um that just seems crazy to me you know we're not we're not fighting a war there there are there aren't you know people dying it this is uh we're also not curing cancer and and we're not this is golf you know this is this is all this is is professional golf and um you know i that's why I still stick to when the emotion and the pettiness finally calm down and and people walk in a room with the true intent. Uh, to work this out and put it together, I think it can be done. I mean, w- we are not fighting a war here. We are we are here. We are not saving lives. We this is just golf, and and I still do believe in the game of golf, and I always love it. And that's the big reason why I want it all back together.
0: you brought up Phil Nicholson there a decent amount in your last quote, and uh, looking back on your career, it reminded me of whenever you won the uh, one of your three PGA Tour wins. Was it the Nissan Open in 2007? You actually beat Phil Mickelson in a playoff that year. So uh, take us back to that week and what it's like uh, beating uh, Phil in that playoff, who you're actually playing uh, against on Live Now.
2: Yes. Well, you know, Phil was playing phenomenal golf, um, you know, in that stretch there. And, uh yeah Riviera was my favorite golf course on the PGA Tour, um, non-major. And, my goodness, to win there. I remember mean, we went to a playoff, and here I am thinking, you know, I, at least I had nothing to lose, right? Like. Uh, and it being, you know, our first hole in the playoff being the 10th hole at Riviera, a highly favored still, arguably the best short game of all time. Um, But, you know, these are, these are all like the little experiences that that make up a a career in this game that we all love. And, um, you know, and Phil, I don't live, is great. Uh, I mean, my son Chase, he's 11. Uh, He's a left-hander. So him and Phil uh, talk and Phil's awesome with him. And, you know, Phil will show him little short game tips and stuff and, um, Phil's been great. He really has. I mean, he is, um, uh, you know, like all of us in life and, you know, whatever he's been through, some tough times. So I think he's coming out of it. He seems, uh, he was great at my coma. Um, you know, he's the Phil that we've all come to love, and, you know, talkative and, uh, bouncy a bit of the life of the party, which is, which is what we want him to be because that's what he is. And, um, hopefully as the year goes on, he'll, uh, you know, he'll keep playing great golf and, uh, because live and golf need him to play great. Okay, now one last question for me. You look, it just blows my mind. I'm watching you live on, on the CW channel, watching you win that. By the way, one of the best final rounds I've ever seen. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, you still look like a little kid. You don't look like you've gained a pound in your whole <laughs> life. Okay? You, you look like the same young man. I saw when you were at OSU, believe it or not. How in the heck do you do that? What? I mean, how in the world do you? And and to me, it looks like you could play golf forever, buddy. Well, thank you. Uh, well, I spent a lot of time in the gym. Um, you know, Jonathan Moore at Oklahoma State helps me with all my uh, gym work and routines. And, um yeah, you know, this is actually a direct conversation Jonathan and I had a couple of years ago was, okay, Jonathan, I mean, now I'm 43, back then I was 40, I'm like, okay, I'm 40 years old, yeah, I still, I still want to play golf, and I've got to find some way to be competitive against, you know, Victor Hovland, and Cam Smith, and uh, Jordan Spieth, and all these guys a whole lot younger than me, so how are we going to do this, and so, you know, Jonathan uh, has helped me tremendously, Um, I can't say enough good things about him, and um, yeah, I follow along his program, and you know, I, I bug him along the way here and there. But you know, luckily, I've never really had any injuries. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's a game I love, and I I, I want to play live as long as I can, and then hopefully I can play the Champions Tour because uh, that's something that I've always wanted to do. And um, yeah, I mean, Lord willing, uh, this works itself out, and uh, we can you know proceed that way.
1: My last question here, Charles, you mentioned Oklahoma state. We've had a ton of Oklahoma state players on this podcast, whether it be Verplank or Tway or TG, even the younger guys. And the question I always ask to end the show is you got to give us a holder story from back in the day. I I think that's a rite of passage here on this podcast.
2: Oh man. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, so I, uh, well there's a couple, um, so I remember I was playing a junior tournament, and this is when um, when I was being recruited. Uh, so whatever you know age bracket that is, I can't exactly remember. And uh, my mom and dad and I uh, we were playing a, a junior tournament in Myrtle Beach, so we were able to drive it to drive back to Augusta, Georgia, where I grew up. And my uh, grandfather, he was back in Augusta. Uh, we called him to say, "Hey, listen, we're we'll leaving Myrtle Beach. We're on the way home." And he says, "Hey, I, I want to let you know there's." There's somebody at y'all's house. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? Now, there, there's a man. He's sitting on your front doorstep. <laughs> and we thought, my gosh, who in the world is this? Like, I mean, we didn't live in a gated community, but but it was still, like, I can't even imagine what this is. And he said, yeah, he's been sitting there for a while and he's not moving. And he's like, I, I don't know who he is. I don't really want to approach him or whatnot. But I was like, no, he's out there. Well, long story short, we drive all the way home. The few hours it took, and it was it was Mike Holder. And he had flown to Augusta unannounced and he said, I am not leaving here until you sign this letter of intent with die. So <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take, but I came here and I'm sitting here. <laughs> so that was kind of like in the beginning of it. And I think, um, and then, so one of my, man, this was probably halfway through my freshman year. I was playing, I was playing decent golf, but I wasn't playing great golf. Um, and, you know, as the transition goes, you know, we're off on our own now and our parents aren't there and whatever. And I remember I was hitting balls one day at Karsten, and it was a hot, windy day. And Coach told her what was on the range watching me at balls. He didn't say much for a while. And he finally looks up and he says, you know what, son? I said, yeah, what's that, sir? He says, I thought I re- recruited a Ferrari, and I got a Ford Pinto. <laughs> and, I, and I just literally look at him, Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I, I, I will say this about that man. There is no human on the planet that loves Oklahoma State more than him. And I would venture to say there's no one that loves a university more than he loves Oklahoma State. Um, you know, it was, yeah, the funny thing, too, is he never spoke even ill of OU. Um, in fact, Kelly spoke really highly of like Joe Stiglione and, and, and a lot of the other guys there. It was, it was, he just loved Oklahoma State so much. Um, and man, he would do anything for us to play better. I mean, it's, as long as we showed effort and we were into it, he would do anything for you. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're still very close. We still talk a lot to this day. You know, he helped me obviously with the Oklahoma venue for Live, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a good one.
1: Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully, we can talk again when you're at Cedar Ridge here in Oklahoma. Last thing, I mean, tell the people what they can experience—not just watching it on the CW network now, but what they're going to experience in May—and and go get tickets on LiveGolf.com. Right? Yeah. So
2: yeah, I so I
1: actually make it a point to speak to a lot of the fans and, and families that come
2: out to live events and. Uh, for all the, the moms out there, everyone I've spoke to love it because they, they're worried about bringing their kids. They can bring their kids to live events. They can run and scream and do whatever because there's music playing everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, and, and seriously, every mom has said it. Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, so that's for all the moms out there with kids, which I understand. Uh, the fan village and build outs are phenomenal. Um, they really, really are. And, uh, you know, some of the live people told me they kind of view these as a festival with the golf tournament as well. So, I mean, listen, I, every fan I've spoke to has loved the experience. Uh, like I said, there's music playing everywhere, even during play. All the fan experiences are really good and, and the families like it. So uh, I, I encourage everyone to come out, at least try it. Um, and, I, and I bet you come back the next day.
1: No doubt about it. And the golf is going to be high level as well. Charles Hal the Third. Thank you so much for joining us today, and have a great rest of your day. All right. Well, listen. Well, I appreciate. I appreciate all you guys do
2: for us in the game of golf. And uh, if I don't speak center, we'll see you in May.
1: Sounds good. That's Charles Hal the Third here on the seventy third hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.